Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Andrew. I'm an assistant pastor here at King's. And today I have the real joy of continuing our series, Life in the Spirit. We were asking questions like, well, who is the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to live a life in the Spirit? And how do we actually do that day by day? And that's such an important thing for us to think about because the Holy Spirit, he is vital to Christian life. And I think we can easily overlook the vital role that he plays. And today, we're going to focus on an element of how the Holy Spirit helps us, which I think can be particularly overlooked. When we think about the Spirit, we might easily think of kind of miraculous things. We might think of spiritual gifts, things like prophecy or the gift of tongues or languages. Or we might think of times of encounter where we enjoy knowing the Spirit being with us. We can easily overlook the Spirit is also central to who we are as Christians and how we're actually to live just very normal day-to-day life. Because as followers of Jesus, we are called to live in obedience to Jesus, to follow the example that he has set, to walk the kind of path that he walked. But to do that on our own is very hard, or actually in reality, it's pretty much impossible to try and live in obedience to Jesus on your own. Actually, we need the Spirit to empower us, to help us to be obedient to Jesus. It's the Spirit dwelling in us, transforming us, changing us, equipping us, empowering us, that enables us to live in obedience to him. So if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you're just conscious of your own struggle to live in obedience to Jesus, maybe you really want to, but you're just aware of your own weakness and just feel it's such a hard thing to do, friends, you need the Holy Spirit to help you. And that's what we're going to look at today, how he does that. Or maybe you're here today, maybe you're looking in today, and actually you're kind of interested in becoming a follower of Jesus, but you're just not quite feeling able to take that final step of committing to him because you think, I know what Jesus demands of me, and I know I can't do that. Maybe it feels impossible to you that you could ever live in obedience to Jesus. Well, friend, if that's you, you need the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to see how he helps us, how that works. Just before we get to that, though, I thought I'd recommend a couple of books that I've read recently or one I'm reading at the moment on the Holy Spirit that I found a huge blessing and I want to really commend to you. The first one is this book, Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit by Francis Chan, who is a pastor currently over in the States. Many of you might know him. And really, this book is just a kind of challenge to us to remember the vital place of the Holy Spirit at the heart of our lives and to think about how we actually do that. And I found it such a helpful provocation. It really made me realize that I had become pretty lazy in my relationship with the Spirit. He was working in me graciously, but I wasn't really paying attention to him. And it was just such a helpful challenge and provocation and encouragement to partner with him, to develop relationship with him. A really easy, accessible read. I'd highly recommend it. And the book I'm currently reading called Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God by Gordon Feet. This guy is a New Testament scholar who realized that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is central to Christian life. And he also looked around the churches he knew and realized often it didn't seem like the Holy Spirit was central to Christian life there. And so he went through all of Paul's letters, looking at every single reference to the Holy Spirit, seeking to understand them, wrestle them, wrote a really big book about that, which I haven't read, but then wrote this handy abridged version where he summarizes kind of what he found. And it's just a really helpful introduction to who the Spirit is, the vital role he plays in our lives, in God's plan for salvation history. Again, really pretty accessible. I'm finding it a huge blessing and would really recommend it to you. 
Today, then, we're going to talk about Holy Spirit-empowered obedience. So we're going to look at one of Paul's letters. We're going to go to Romans, the letter Paul the Apostle writes to the church in Rome. We're going to read a little bit of chapter 8, and I'm going to draw out three things that Paul highlights for us there. This chapter is kind of something of a conclusion to what Paul is saying. And really, it's Paul talking about the normal Christian life. We can read it and think, wow, this sounds just incredible. Wouldn't it be nice to experience that? Well, actually, all Paul is talking about is the normal Christian life that's available to anyone who is a follower of Jesus. So let's read a bit, starting from verse 1 of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is part of Paul's description of the normal Christian life, and right at the center of it is spirit-empowered obedience. This is about three things he shows us. The first thing is we are saved in order to live in obedience by God's Spirit. Do you notice he starts with the wonderful truth of freedom from condemnation? Paul says, if you're a Christian, there is literally not one bit of condemnation. It is utterly impossible as a Christian to come back into the condemnation or back under the condemnation of God. Previously, we were fully deserving of condemnation. We had chosen to go off and worship other things rather than God. We were under condemnation and the law couldn't help us. Even though God revealed his ways, actually all that could do was condemn us and show us our errors. It could never change us and help us to live his way. But God in his love sends his son and does in his son what the law could never do. He sends Jesus who lives, who dies, who's raised to life again. And in doing so, he deals with our sin problem. That problem that we deserved condemnation for so that we can be totally and utterly forgiven totally free from condemnation. But notice, in Romans 8, Paul doesn't stop there. He tells us about this wonderful freedom from condemnation, but then he tells us one of the purposes of that. Verse 4, he says, this freedom from condemnation is in order that, for the purpose that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
Paul is telling us that part of the very reason that God saves us and forgives us is that we might then live in obedience to Jesus. He describes that as fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law. God's law reveals his righteous ways, his right ways, the fitting ways, the life-giving ways of living life. We can say salvation is for obedience. We are saved into obedience for the purpose of being obedient to Jesus. And notice the order of that is really important. It's not obedience for salvation. It's not if you try hard enough and you're good enough and you're obedient enough, then you get salvation. It's we are totally and utterly saved, totally and utterly forgiven, cleansed, washed, and then from that flows obedience. And this is one of the great blessings of the gospel to us. It's one of God's amazing gifts to us because obedience is for our good. Obedience isn't kind of jump through some hoops for the sake of it. It's not God putting arbitrary boundaries in. Obedience is living the way God has created us to live. It's living with the grain of the universe, the direction of how he's created things to be. It's the way we can find and experience our best life and fullness of life. Obedience is a purpose of salvation, and it's a good thing for us. And notice what Paul says about how it happens. It doesn't happen. Obedience doesn't happen through the law. It's not that we have a list of rules and regulations. We have the clear boundaries between which we need to keep, and we just try really, really hard to keep them as best we can. That's not what Paul says, because that doesn't work. We all know that doesn't work. Paul knows that doesn't work. The very previous chapter, he's told us that doesn't work, and actually he's told us, therefore, we've needed to die to the law. We've been set free from the law. It has no authority over us to point its accusing finger anymore. Now, this obedience, this fulfilling of the righteous requirement of the law, he says, happens not according to the law and not according to the flesh. Now, flesh, as Paul's talking about here, is actually different to how Ezekiel is talking about it. Flesh is our human self in sin in kind of opposition to God. It's the natural state we all live in outside of Jesus before responding to him. Because we live in a world which we know is broken and impacted and contaminated by sin, by our rebellion against God, we all experience desires and thoughts which seek to pull us away from God's ways, seek to pull us away from the ways of true life, the ways that are best for us. Our flesh can never be the way we fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. And that's the really important thing to notice that Paul says, because that stands in stark contrast to so many of the messages of the culture, the world that you and I live in. Paul's saying you don't fulfill the righteousness requirement of the law by following your flesh, by what you feel and desire and you think. Well, our culture says if you feel it, do it. Our culture says you do you. It doesn't matter what anyone else says or else thinks. We're told to follow our desires, to follow our hearts, Friends, the Bible says our desires, our hearts, ourselves, us being us, is often actually the very root of our problems. If we want to live in obedience to Jesus, which means if we want to experience and enjoy fullness of life, our best life with him, we can't just unthinkingly embrace all our feelings, all our thoughts, and live them out. We need to live in a different way. We can't do it by the law. We can't do it by the flesh. Paul says we do it according to the Spirit. We need to walk according to the Spirit to live in obedience to Jesus. Walking with the Holy Spirit, walking by him, being transformed, equipped, empowered by him, 
helps us to be obedient to Jesus. And Paul goes on to explain, well, what does it mean? What does it look like to walk by the Spirit? So the second thing we can draw out is Paul tells us we need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. The way we walk by the Spirit is to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 5, Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh, or we could translate that better, who are of the flesh. This is an identity thing. Those who are defined by the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to, or who are of the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul is comparing and contrasting two different identities. And the two identities flow into two different ways of thinking. This is about the things we set our minds on, the things that absorb and captivate our thinking, the things we think about when we're not thinking about anything else. He says those who are of the flesh, that's an identity we have outside of Jesus, if we're not a Christian, they set their mind on the things of the flesh, by which he means our sinful desires, our sinful thoughts, our sinful ways. The fleshly way of thinking is kind of a way that puts us at the center. It makes us the most important. It basically makes us God and puts us in the middle. And later on, verses 7 and 8, Paul will say, a person who's in the flesh is inherently and naturally hostile to God, unable to live God's way, unable to please God. If we're in the flesh without the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to live in obedience to God. But wonderfully, there is an alternative identity. We can move from being of the flesh to being in the spirit, which is kind of Paul's way of talking about the change of heart that Ezekiel talks about that we've already heard about today. We can be of the spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul clarifies that this is true of all Christians. All Christians have this identity of of the spirit. Verse 9, he says, You, Christian, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Paul is saying a Christian is, by definition, somebody who has the Holy Spirit living in them. Because the Holy Spirit works in us as we come to respond to Jesus. We've experienced a radical, radical change of identity. A change of heart. We're no longer of the flesh. We are now of the Spirit. Because the Spirit is central to the start and the continuation of Christian life. And as those who are of the Spirit, we set our mind not on those fleshly things, we set our mind on the things of the Spirit. That means our mind is focused on and captivated by and uh, obsessed with, absorbed by the things of the Spirit. Which, of course, raises the question, well, what are the things of the Spirit? And I think in what Paul's saying here, it's talking about the truths, the kind of truths he talks about in Romans 8. Romans 8 is all about life in the Spirit. The things of the Spirit are the things he tells us the Spirit has done for us. It's who we now are in Christ, what Christ has done for us. Paul will go on to talk about the fact that we as Christians have been adopted as God's children. That as God's children, we can live totally free from the fear of condemnation. We can know an incredible, intimate, heart-connection relationship with God our Father, and we can know that whatever we face, even if we face the worst suffering, we can know with utter certainty that we are loved by God. These are the things of the Spirit we need to set our minds on. And that means we need to preach these things to ourselves. Do you realize the most important preacher in your life is not me, or one of the other pastors, or one of your favorite podcast preacher online, the most important and powerful preacher in your life is you. 
and the words you say to yourself. We need to teach and preach to ourselves mini gospel sermons day by day, moment by moment. That's how we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. How good are you at doing that? How good are you at preaching mini gospel sermons to yourself? So we are empowered by the Spirit to live in obedience to Jesus, to live God's way. And we're filled with the Spirit. We get to set our minds on these things. And as we do, the Spirit transforms us, equips us, empowers us so that we might fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. And also, the final third thing, the Spirit helps us to put sin to death. Because Paul tells us we need to put sin to death by the Spirit. One of the outworkings of being someone who is of the Spirit and someone who sets our minds on the things of the Spirit is that we are radical about dealing with sin and putting it to death. Verse 12, Paul says, We are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He says we're debtors. That means we, we owe something. There's an obligation on us. But our obligation is not to the flesh. We don't have to obey what it says to us. That means no matter how loud your desires shout at you, or how, the, how strong the world might shout at you, we don't have to listen to them. We don't have to follow our sinful desires or the misleading ways of the world. Actually, we are not under obligation to them. We are under obligation to uh, God, the one who's loved us, who sacrificed himself for us, who saved us, who dwells in us by his spirit, we as followers of Jesus have an obligation to him. And part of the obligation is to flee from the flesh, choosing not to live according to its ways, choosing not to be mastered and controlled by it, but instead to live according to the flesh, to the spirit. Because Paul says the, the root of uh, living according to the flesh is the root to death. But rather than taking the root to death, we are to put to death the deeds of the body as the root to life. The deeds of the body being the outworking of that flesh, the sinful things you might do. Paul's basically saying we need to get serious about dealing with and excising sin from our lives. Notice how violent his language is. Notice how seriously he's taking it. It's not all kind of try and get hold of the sin in your life, try and manage it, try and keep it in check. No, it's kill it. Get ruthless. Get serious with it. But it's not just try harder. It's deal with the deeds of the body by the Spirit. It's not about our own abilities, our own efforts, our own best attempts. It's about the work of the Spirit in us, us setting our mind on the things of the Spirit, taking hold of his help, his power, so we can deal with sin in our lives and we can put it to death. We need to put to death the deeds of the body. but We do that by the Spirit. So if you're here today and you're a Christian and maybe you are just so conscious of your desire to be obedient to Jesus, but your struggle to be obedient to Jesus. Or maybe you're considering following Jesus, but you, for you can't make that final step because how could you ever be obedient to him? Friend, here Paul tells us the answer is the Holy Spirit. How can we live in obedience to Jesus? It's by the Spirit. It starts with being saved in order to live in obedience. That purpose of salvation, to live in obedience by God's Spirit. Obedience is not a sideshow or a kind of a second part of salvation. It's core to why God has saved us. And that's for our good. And also we can be confident that God will help us. 
Because it's part of God's planning salvation, we've been confident as we seek to live in obedience to him by his spirit, he will help us. He wants to do that. It's part of what he's doing in saving us. It starts with that, and then it continues by setting our minds on the things of the spirit. As those in the spirit, those filled with the spirit, we preach the gospel, the truth of what God has done for us in sending his son, the truth of who we are in his son to ourselves day after day, moment after moment. Have a read of Romans 8 and take hold of those truths for yourself. Dig through the Bible for the, the gold it says about who we are in Christ. And then finally, we put sin to death by the Spirit. We need to be radical. We need to be ruthless. We're not just striving to do it on our own. We're doing it by the power of the Spirit. Maybe the band could come up at this point, please. I think these three points give us three challenges, which is the one I want to leave us with. And you may feel one is particularly relevant to you today. You may feel, man, all three of those are grabbing me today, and I need to take this and think about this and engage with God over the week. The first challenge is just, are you of the Spirit? Are you of the flesh or are you of the Spirit? None of this can work until you've moved from being of the flesh to being in the Spirit, to responding to Jesus, to receiving that new identity, that transformation, that transformed heart that Ezekiel talks about from him. Friend, if even now you're realizing, no, I'm in the flesh, not in the Spirit, the invitation is there for you today from Jesus to come and receive a new identity from him, to be changed and transformed, forgiven and empowered to live in life-giving obedience. The second challenge is, if we're in the Spirit, are we setting our minds on the things of the Spirit? Are you preaching those mini-sermons to yourself? Are you believing and taking hold of the truth of who you are because of what God has done, rather than how you may feel, or what people may say, or what the world around you may make you feel? Are you actively setting your mind on the things of the Spirit? And finally, are you being radical and ruthless about putting sin to death by the Spirit? I believe even now the Spirit may be just gently, sensitively, kindly, lovingly highlighting areas of sin in our lives that he wants us to deal with, not by trying harder, but by taking hold of the power of the Spirit that he has for us. We're going to respond, Anna and Joe are going to help us to do that, a chance to pause and reflect on these challenges and to engage with God. So I'll hand to them as they lead us in that way.